So we're going to continue our series called Empowered. And because it's part two, I'm going to call it Empowered Part Two, which is kind of cool. And uh, last week we um, looked at who the Holy Spirit is. This whole series is about rediscovering, understanding, and knowing the power and the person that is the Holy Spirit. And we had a great start to our series last week. We looked at who the Holy Spirit is. We looked at the fact that He's a person. He's not an influence. He's not a force. The Bible uses a lot of symbolic language to describe the characteristics and the nature of the Holy Spirit, like a wind and fire and a dove. But as we learned last week, He's none of those things. He's just like those things in the way He moves, in His character and His nature. He's not like a seagull that rushes up to you and says, Get us a chip! He's not like that. But He's more like a dove that sidles up alongside you and says, can I have a chip? He's like a dove. He's not a dove. He's like fire. He's like wind. He's a person. He's also fully God. He's the third person of the Godhead, which means He can be worshipped. There's this debate back in the day whether the Holy Spirit should or could be worshipped. He's actually God. Of course He can be worshipped. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe they are three in one. And we also learned that He's the part of the Godhead that's with us. It's amazing to me. The one who is with us, the, the, the God that is with us, the Holy Spirit, is the one we tend to neglect and ignore the most and He's the one with us. God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is next to the Father in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us. And as a result, He cannot afford to be neglected nor ignored. I um, need to uh, get this changed. It keeps going off on me. So just make it stay on the whole time. My iPad packed up this morning. So I need to use my wife. The trouble is it lasts, it stays on for about a second, which is just pretty useless. Anyway, and so we looked at the Holy Spirit, that he's, he's the third person of the Godhead and He is with us. And today, I want to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Last week, who the Holy Spirit is. Today, I want to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a role. God the Father has a role. God the Son has a role. And the Holy Spirit has a role in our lives. And I want to look at five things the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and do with us and ultimately do through us today. Five things very quickly. And then we're going to come around the Lord's table. We're going to break bread together. We're going to drink of the cup together. And we're going to have an incredible morning this morning. How does that sound? Awesome. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does we're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does, He enlightens us. Everyone say, He enlightens us. He enlightens us. The number one role of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten us and to promote Christ and our need for Christ in our life. That's what He wants to do. He wants to promote Christ. The Holy Spirit is like the PR manager 
of Jesus Christ. He, he talks about Christ. He wants you to know that there is a Saviour, one who can forgive you of your sins. And He wants to enlighten us about that which we need to be enlightened about. People often tell me that they believe in God. Most people in this room would say, I believe in God. You do a community survey and most people will say, I believe in God. My question is, which God do you believe in? Which God do you believe in? Do you believe in the God of Buddha? Looking at the size of some people, I'm sure that would be a major one. Krishna, Zeus, Poseidon, which God? Port Adelaide Football Club? Which God, that's my question, which God do you believe in? It's not enough to believe in God. The question is, which God do you believe in? Let me explain it this way. Have you ever been offered by someone on a hot day when you are really thirsty to say, hey, would you like a Coke? And you say, oh, I, I would love a Coke. And then you, you, you sip on the Coke and you taste it. And then, then at the moment you taste it, you think, that's not Coke. It, it, it's a poor imitation. When, when you are offered a Coke, that's the symbol you want to see. When you hear Coke, you only want to see one logo. You only want to see one brand when you are offered a Coke and it's that one. What brand you do not want to see is this one. <laughs> that is not Coke. Yes, it says Cola, RC Cola. But I want to tell you today, RC Cola is not Coke. What about this one? <laughs> Gets worse. <laughs> Thirsty day. That's not Coke. What about this one? And the one you definitely do not want to see at any time, no matter how thirsty you are, is this one. <laughs> you do not want to see those because they are cheap imitations. See, there's a lot of cola out there, but there's only one Coca-Cola. When it comes to cola, you want the real thing. There's lots of imitations out there. But there's only one real thing. You want to see the white swish of the Coca-Cola logo when you are being offered a Coke. None of those poorer, cheaper brands will do. There's a lot of gods out there, little g. But there's only one God, capital G, out there. Lots of gods. It's not enough to say, I believe in God. The question is, which one? Which God do you believe in? And what you need to understand is that God, to quote Louis Giglio, has branded himself. He has a brand. Just like Coca-Cola has a brand, the white swish. You see the white swish? You know what it means. They've done a survey. Take the words Coca-Cola out. Just have the red background, the white swish and say, what is that logo? And most people know it's Coca-Cola. You get the little Nike tick. It's been branded with a tick. Well, God has branded Christianity with Jesus. He's our brand. He's the one that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to your attention. 
So that when we talk about God, we're not just talking about every other God that's out there. The Holy Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit's role is to make sure that whenever we are talking about God, we are talking about the one God, the only God that has no other name but the name of Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And there's not a person in this room today that has eventually lifted up their hand, gave their life to Christ without a work of the Holy Spirit taking place first on the inside of us. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never come to the conclusion that we need God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So don't think for a moment. When we sing songs, I found the Lord, you were not on a search. It was the Holy Spirit that was searching you out. He was searching me out. And He made me painfully and plainfully aware that there's a God in heaven that loves me. But it's not the God of Buddha, Krishna, Zeus, Poseidon, or the Port Adelaide Football Club. There is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. And He took upon your sins, upon Himself. And He went to a cross and He died for you. And He rose again for you that you might live. And the Holy Spirit's job, His sole preoccupation is to illuminate the name of Jesus and to bring to your attention and my attention, your awareness and my awareness of our great need for Him. The Holy Spirit wants to enlighten us. In Acts chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, we see Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He was a great apostle for Jesus And he found himself in a place called Philippi. And it says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This is the work of salvation. Paul was speaking. Lydia was listening. But for all the speaking and all the listening, that alone will never see somebody come to Christ. It says it was the Lord. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. It was the Lord that opened her heart. So we had a speaker and we had a listener and we had the Holy Spirit at work opening the eyes of Lydia, opening the eyes of her heart, understanding that this man speaks the truth and he must be listened to. Salvation needs a speaker, it needs a listener, but more than that, it needs the Holy Spirit bringing it all together. Amen. This is the preoccupation of the Holy Spirit. For without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to come to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing." Think about it. Before you were a Christian, and I realize there are some here today who are not a Christian, and that's fine. You are so welcome. We are all we have all been there. But let's be honest, the message of the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. That, that's what Paul is saying here. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's a power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what Christ has, oh, sorry, what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. And so we go from, that's a stupid story. I don't get it. What do you mean Jesus died? I mean, that's His problem. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Then the Holy Spirit opens his eyes and says, wow, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. 
You can't learn, you can't intelligent your way into heaven. You can't wise your way into heaven. You're not smart enough, you're not wise enough. You can't strong your way into heaven. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. I'm not contemplating for a moment that we should all be simpletons. But that's what I love about Christianity. He moves upon the heart of the simple, the uneducated. But he also moves upon the heart of the intelligent and the rich and the poor alike. The Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. He will move. And his sole role is to open the eyes of our heart to the fact that we need a Christ. And so for those of you who are contemplating the truth of what I'm sharing today, if you're serious about a God out there that loves you, who died for your sins, the best place you can start and say, Holy Spirit, if you were there, would you please make sense of this story that I keep hearing about? And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and bring you to a place of understanding that you can never get by yourself. I could go on, but for the sake of time, number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us. He not only enlightens us, but he also empowers us. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit came on the early church, he came to them in power. Remember, they were all locked away in the upper room for fear of the Jews. The doors were locked. They were not bold. They were not loud. They were not proud. They were just scared. And they waited 10 days. And on the 10th day, the power of the Holy Spirit swept into the room like a wind and like fire. And they, here's the thing, they didn't have a charismatic meeting. They didn't say, that was awesome. Now, now you pray for me and I'll fall over and I'll roll around for it. Then I'll get up and then I'll pray for you and you fall over and you roll around a bit and we'll, and we'll do all these things. That, that was not the purpose of the empowerment. What I love about that moment in time was that there was an impartation of power that they unlocked the doors and they went downstairs and they began to preach. These once Scaredy cats now had a supernatural power on the inside to be able to do what they couldn't do before. And that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Instead of us just telling God every day of our lives for the rest of our lives, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. God knows we can't do it. That's why He's given us the Holy Spirit. And so it's much better to say, I can't do it, but I thank God you can. And I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers me to do what I otherwise could not do that way he gets the glory. And so he wants to enlighten us, but he also wants to empower us so that we may be witnesses for him. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, Peter saw a man at the gate beautiful, a beggar. He'd been there for many, many years. And Peter said, men of Israel, why do you look so surprised? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to see a man that had a crippling disease healed. He was able to stand up. He was able to leap and jump. And Peter was able to say, hang on, why do you think more of us when in actual fact it was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us? 
The Holy Spirit wants to empower you and he wants to empower me to live for him. As I said last week, Jesus has asked us to do an impossible task. And so he's given us one who makes an impossible task possible. When Jesus said, love your enemies, he did not think for one moment that you in your own strength could love your enemies. Let's be honest. Even those that we love are hard to love at times. Don't look at your husband or wife right now. Look straight at me. Don't look. But let's be honest. Those that are closest to you are sometimes the hardest to love. And Jesus said, I want, I want those guys that you don't normally get on with, I want you to love them too. I can't do that. The day you realize you can't do it and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be one of the greatest days of your life. The moment you think, no, I'm going to try because Jesus said, I'm going to try and do this in my own strength, ignore the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try and, and, and I love those that, that, that hate me. You might do it for a day. You might do it for a couple of days. You may even string together a week. But eventually you're going to be like a volcano. You are going to explode somewhere, somehow. And it ain't going to be pretty. It might even be on Bondi Beach. <laughs> my wife is saying my shoelace isn't done. I know it's undone. I'm the one who undid it. I trod on it. It's all right. Look at that. I love you, baby. You're amazing. That's beautiful. Was that annoying the people on the front row, seeing my shoelace undone? Holy Spirit wants to empower you to do what you can't do. How many... If I said, I, I've got a pill you can take that can give you power to do what you've always wanted to do but you can't do in your own strength, how many would take it? But I've got something better than a pill. The Holy Spirit wants to come and empower us to love our enemies. To be able to be witnesses for Christ. And being a witness for Christ isn't telling people about Jesus necessarily. It's part of that but it's just living the life that Jesus lived. And to do that, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. Power to overcome addictions. Power to resist temptation. Power to break bad habits. Power to speak the truth in a politically correct world. All this needs something more than we've got. The anointing for me in its purest and simplest form is this. You know what I mean? The anointing. To me, the anointing is this. That supernatural power to do what I otherwise could not do in my own strength. And so if I found myself loving someone who I know didn't like me, and I walk away from that moment, I say, God's anointed me to have an empathy and a compassion for people I know don't like me. That's the anointing at work. Number three, the Holy Spirit comforts us. Isn't that wonderful to know? John chapter 14, verse 16, and I will pray the Father. Sorry, and I will pray, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I thank God that when I'm going through my toughest, darkest days, that there is a comforter that can help me through those moments. I think what we've tended to do with this notion of him being comforter is that he will comfort us, meaning we will never have any pain in our life. And that is not what the comforter does. He doesn't keep us from 
tough, difficult situations. But he comforts us through them. You've got to get this. If you want to spend the rest of your life trying to avoid tough, challenging, troublesome situations, you're going to miss the call of God for your life. Because much of the call of God is in those tough, difficult, troublesome moments. In Acts chapter 16, there are a couple of men, Paul and Silas, that got unjustly and unfairly treated. Basically, they were just minding their own business and this woman, which I hate that, men, this woman comes up and this woman did what women do best and that was nag them for days. That's what's happening here. This woman comes up and, and she was speaking the truth. She was actually, you know, flattering them. And this young girl was going, these men are servants of the Most High God, showing us the way that which we can be saved. You know, thank you, I appreciate that. You know, the first time, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. But this went on for days. Paul was so fed up with this young girl and her nagging. He put his hand on her head and said, demon out! which could be a word for some of the men in this place. Just let that sit where it needs to. And the demon that was tormenting this young woman, isn't it interesting, she had a demon that was speaking the truth, left this woman. The owners of this young girl saw that they'd lost their way of making money, and so they arrested Paul, they arrested Silas, they beat them and put them into jail. Not very comfortable. Not very comforting. And yet in the midst of their jail, in the midst of their prison, in the midst of their darkest moment, the comforter was there. To the point that they could sing songs of praise. They could worship God. And as Chris Guglielmucci preached the other Sunday night, there was an incredible breakthrough that happened as a result of that moment. But even if that moment of doors flinging open didn't happen, they still had a comforter. Because they weren't singing so that the doors would be opened. They were singing because they had a comforter that empowered them to sing in their darkest moment. How about the next time we're going through a dark moment, instead of just complaining about it, whinging about it, tweeting about it, Instagramming about it, we just start embracing the comforter and getting the comfort we need for the moment that we're going through. Amen? So he comforts us. Number four, the Holy Spirit guides us. John 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is what I love about the Holy Spirit. He's not like a travel agent. He's more like a tour guide. Have you noticed when you go into a travel agency, you start asking about a particular country, and most of the time they haven't been there. And so they get out the brochures, the very brochures you could have got yourself. And they start telling you about the country, and you know at that moment they've just read the very manual that you've just read. And here's the other thing about a travel agent, they don't go with you. They often haven't been to the country where you want to go, and they're certainly not going to go with you and help you. But we have one who is with us. He's like a tour guide. He's been there before we ever get there. And He's with us while we go through it. He wants to guide us and lead us. 
And that's why he doesn't tell you everything. And, and, and you know, when you go to a, a, a tour guide, oh, what's it like when Disneyland? Let, let, let's, let's just wait till we get there and I'll show you. So many of us don't want to do anything until God, until we know everything about God and everything that God wants to do and use in our lives. And that's not the way it works. We have enough truth and he wants us to respond to the truth we have and he will lead us into more truth. I, I want you to know that if I was told at the age of 15, by the age of 24, I'd be planning a church, I would say, kill me now. I'm so glad God has not revealed to me the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. I'm so glad He's withheld certain aspects of my life from me because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. At 15 years of age, I just got out of school. I was loving doing what I was doing. I was making money. I was enjoying my life. And you know what? If I was told that at, uh, in nine years from now, you are going to plant a church, I would, are you kidding me? I don't want that. How many of you are doing things now that you wish you'd, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you never imagined you'd be doing this. Some of you hated God, hated church, hated Christians, and here you are. So I believe in, like, what happened? How did I go from this to this? Because we have one who guides us and leads us. And then there's a day we give our lives to Jesus. I'll give my life to Jesus, but I'm not going to give up that. I'm still going to play soccer. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be a Christian playing for Manchester. I'm going to do that. He says, okay. It's okay. And little by little, slowly, but sure, he guides you. And all of a sudden, he guides you out of certain things and into certain things. And things I always want to do, I don't want to do anymore. Things I never want to do, now I want to do them. He guides us. He leads us. And if there's questions that you have that are unanswered, say prayers of thanks. Because if he hasn't revealed something to you, it's because you either aren't ready to handle the truth, you don't need to know the truth. Just trust that he's with you and he'll lead you into truth as you are ready to receive truth. If we get truth too soon, for some, it's going to be really detrimental. So let's let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us and take us. And number five is a band come. The Holy Spirit convicts us. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Can I just say this? The Holy Spirit never condemns. And there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. But we are by nature poor at discerning the difference between the two. Because we interpret, if I feel bad, that's condemnation. But we need to get that thinking out of our head. That if someone makes me feel bad, or something makes me feel bad, that's condemnation. Now the Holy Spirit can make you feel very uneasy about some of the things that you are doing right now. And saying right now. And thinking right now. 
because he's a God who loves you. It wouldn't be a God of love if we felt good about doing bad things. If we feel bad about doing bad things, that's a good thing. If we feel good about doing bad things, that's a bad thing. And so we have a Holy Spirit that loves us and wants the best for us. Probably the best way I can explain it is this. If my child were playing in the middle of the road and a car was coming towards them at high speed, I have one purpose at that moment, and that's to get them off the road. It's not to make them feel good. It's not to make them feel heard. It's not to make them feel loved. It's to get them out of danger. And if I have to grab them and do a tuck and roll and they get a few scrapes and scratches, but I save their life, I will never, ever feel bad for that. And anyone who's a parent here would say a yes and an amen. Because we understand something of what it is to love our children. Where does that desire or notion come from? It comes from a father who loves us. Don't think for a moment that you love God, sorry, you love people more than God loves people. God invented the notion that sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind. And so the Holy Spirit, if we're open to Him, will make us feel horrible about certain things we are doing, saying and thinking. Because that thing that we're doing, saying or thinking at that time is detrimental to us, our family and our friends, our community. And, and when I say this, there are some things that are really obvious. You know, we, we, we tend to judge our sins by other sins. But we should never judge our sins by other sins. We should always measure what we are doing with our purpose and call. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, He's not speaking to us based upon other people's sins. He speaks to us based upon the God-given, God-shaped destiny and purpose for our lives. And that's why somebody can be doing something that the Holy Spirit will not let you do, not because it's wrong, but because it's wrong for you. Because you've got a God shape and a God design and a God purpose. And so for the obvious sins that are out there, I mean, one of our celebrities who's been an entertainer, an artist in our nation for years has been found out. And we're appalled at his behaviour. That's bad. And because we think that's bad, we're basically saying, well, I'm good. But God doesn't judge us against other people's sins. Sin is simply to miss the mark. And when you compare my life or your life to the life of God, all of us fall short. All of us miss the mark of His holy standard. And so if the person that I've put in your head, he's here and you're there and someone else is there and God's here, we're all short of God's glory. And so the Holy Spirit is forever working in our lives to remind us, to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to comfort us, to promote one name, the name of Jesus. 
and our incredible need for Him. And so if we are doing things and saying things in our life that are hindering people getting to know Jesus, conviction comes. The way you said that, the way you did that. And I pray that through this series, we become more sensitive to the leadings and movings and guidings of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're having a drink, an alcoholic beverage, and, and, and we're feeling convicted, we don't put that on everybody. We just say, there's just something God is doing in my life. I never forget as a 19-year-old teenager, <laughs> I went to Queensland I went out to a nightclub as I met with my family for the first time who'd moved over from the UK. I had a beer and they were drinking all night. But because I have this life of God in me, they, they all just assumed I was drunk because I was having more fun than they were. And I did have a beer. And I'll never forget, six months later, he came down and he was telling our youth group and my youth leader at that time, that, oh, I'll never forget this night, Tony came up to Queensland. He was drunk. And I had no... I, I try to justify it, but I just thought, you know what? I get why he would say that. And so from the age of 19 to 35, I never touched alcohol again. It was something that I felt the Holy Spirit convicted me about. Because I did not want alcohol to get the glory for the life of God in me. I don't have to have any alcohol on the table and people still think I'm drunk. I can't put that on every one of you. Some of you need alcohol. Let me be honest. <laughs> I feel like the Lord was saying to me not to drink. I think some of the, the Lord is saying, please drink something. <laughs> it's like people say, you know, is, is makeup bad? Is that the, of the devil? Or not? I think, you know, I, I think some women should wear makeup. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think some men should too. <laughs> See, we, we, make, we want laws. We've been set free from the law. Yeah, right. We give the Holy Spirit to lead us. And so at that moment, I didn't put it on to everyone. You're not allowed to drink. 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 Allowed to drink. I just continued to walk in the life of God and be the life of the party without the alcohol. I would say don't get drunk because the Bible's clear about that. But it doesn't say do not drink alcohol. But for me, for 15 years, it was do not drink alcohol. That is something that I responded to. It's since opened doors. I have no regrets. And I never put what God was telling me onto anybody else. Because at that point in my life, he was speaking to me about that thing. That's how he leads us. That's how he guides us. That's how he convicts us. I was very convicted that day. I did not feel good about having to justify the fact that I wasn't drunk. Are you hearing my heart this morning? This third person, the Holy Spirit, is so wonderful. So beautiful. So powerful. And I believe he's the forgotten God, the missing God, the missing link to our relationship. We've treated him like the spare wheel, the third party of this relationship. We want God the Father, we want God the Son, just the Holy Spirit. Yeah, interrupt. No, we need him. We need him. And as I said in week one, we're not going back to 1980s. We're not going back to the early 90s. We're not going back old school and just having some, you know, nonsense happening under the banner of the Holy Spirit moving. That's not what this series is about. This is about us being empowered to live for Him 24-7.